Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome to an all-new episode of Rossafari Zoo News, because after all, it would be weird to replay old episodes of a news show. That's right, y'all. We are here for the latest in zoo, aquarium, conservation, and animal news, and uh, I'm pretty darn excited to have y'all here with me. So, um, yeah, before we get to the the newsy bit of the news, I want to start out by thanking everybody who took part in my little fundraiser as part of International Red Panda Day uh, for Red Panda Network. So in total, um, the goal was for Red Panda Network to raise $10,000, and they raised $10,486, which, uh, if you're not good at math, is more. Now, this uh, fundraiser ran for like a month, and just because life was so crazy and things were going on, and I started grad school and Poppy died and all the things, I was like, I just, I don't think I can do it this year. And then it was the week of International Red Panda Day, and I was like, John, you have to participate. So I, I set up, you know, uh, the chance to, to donate through Rossafari for a week, and I, I had some cool prizes, and um, y'all blew me away. I figured that with one week, uh, we would be lucky to hit $200. My goal was to raise $200 for Red Panda Conservation. And uh, instead, y'all came together and raised 820 Dollars, And, um, you know, I want to take a moment here, probably to preach to the choir, but um, I, I, like I said, I want to thank y'all. You're amazing. But I also want to take a moment and just be like, sometimes we get in our own heads in the dumbest ways when it comes to conservation. I've raised thousands of dollars for Red Panda Conservation with, with Red Panda Network. I know that, that y'all like to donate, and I knew that I had things that I could do and, and a reach and influence. And y'all, I almost talked myself out of doing the fundraiser. I was busy. I was stressed. Um, you know, grad school is no joke and grieving is no joke and traveling across the entire country is no joke. And, um, you know, sometimes life is just no joke. And I thought, well, what little difference can you make? Well, it, it's not going to be a big difference. And, uh, Turns out $820 is a lot of dollars. And um, even more, the thing that I really want to point out is that Red Panda Network's goal was $10,000. And they raised $10,486. And we raised $820. Now, again, I don't know where you're all at with your math skills, but $820 is more money than the $486 that they were over their goal, meaning that all things being equal, if I had not done the fundraiser, they might have missed their mark. Not by a lot, and that would have been okay. But you know what? The other part of it was I had so much 
fun participating and sharing about it all on Instagram and Facebook and connecting with some donors who some of y'all I had not talked to yet. Um, I didn't, you know, you were listening, but I didn't know and you were following and I didn't know. And now we get to be buds. And um, that just, you know, sometimes I think when it comes to conservation, we can talk ourselves out of doing things. We can just decide that it's easier to grab that plastic straw. And like, look, no one's perfect. We've talked a lot about this. No judgment here. But it is important to remember that sometimes not only can doing a small thing make a big difference, but it can also be really fun and feel good. And honestly, I'm so grateful that I did it because of what I got from it, as well as because of the positive impact for the clearly most important species to ever roam the planet, the red panda. So yeah, all around, I I just wanted to share that and just remind you all that if you're in your head and you're thinking, eh, what can I do? There's always something you can do. And don't let yourself talk yourself out of doing the thing. You never know what impact you're going to have. Okay, I'm stepping off of my soapbox now and thanking you all one more time. And by the way, when I say I'm thanking y'all, I mean all of you. I don't just mean the donors. I mean if you listen to this podcast, if you have ever liked or shared, um, you know, even one of my photos on Instagram, if we've ever chatted, if you send me stories for Zoo News and I read your name at the end of the episode, all of those things make a huge difference in Ross Safari and, and thus help with conservation. And, and uh, so I am truly thanking every single person who listens and interacts on social media and all the things. Y'all are amazing. I love this community. I'm a shut up and do Zoo News now. Well, since we're already talking about red pandas, I have a quick, oh, I don't know, five stories about red pandas. Three are very similar, though. Um, So let's start there because, of course, we will. Um, Three different zoos, and I count these as three different stories, but I'll just say it quick, had all decided that International Red Panda Day was the perfect day to announce the fact that their red pandas had cubs um, before that time. So congratulations to Bonham Zoo, Calgary Zoo, and Longleat in the UK for announcing that y'all have some healthy, bouncing, couple-month-old red panda cubs. I thought that was really exciting. And, you know, I'd actually kind of wondered. It seemed like Panda births were down a little bit uh, this year in zoos, um, not by a ton, but and again, this was I am not saying this scientifically. This was just me observing, um, you know, and remembering from years past. Uh, but suddenly, three more zoos announcing two cubs each uh, makes a huge difference. So it's pretty cool that you all decided to wait for International Red Panda Day, and that also means that um, you know they're they're past the early life potential mortality event thing. I mean, things happen at all ages, but um, yeah, it's pretty darn exciting to know that these six new pandas are in the world and uh, announcing it on International Red Panda Day only brought that much more attention to the pandas and to Red Panda Network. So congrats to all of the facilities involved. Uh, Going along with the whole baby red panda situation, um, there is the chance to name the baby red panda at Potter Park Zoo. 
Okay, so this is the panda that was born back in July, uh, on July 21st, and we talked about it on here, to Malia and Deegan Reed. And it is a very, very cute male red panda cub, or pandlet, you know, you know, we're sticking with that. Um, And there are five names that you can vote from. It is Raju, meaning prosperity in Sanskrit, Ravi, meaning the sun in Sanskrit, Wilson, Dwight, and Archie. Now, I am a big fan of the name Archie, but you can go and vote however you want, especially if it's for Archie. Uh, I do also like Dwight and Wilson. I'm, I'm a, what can I say? I am an office fan. Um, and Raju's okay too, but I am begging you, do not go vote for Ravi. It's a really cute name, I know, but there are currently four Ravis in the SSP already, and it gets confusing. And our buddy Justin with Red Panda Finder has a hard enough time tracking all of these goobers without them all suddenly having the same name. So go vote Potter Park Zoo, anything but Ravi, please, and Archie Double, please. Yay. And then our last Red Panda story for the week, sadly, um, is out of the Philadelphia Zoo. And uh, okay, so on International Red Panda Day, the Philadelphia Zoo officially announced that they have a new red panda there named Honey. Honey. That may confuse some of you because if you've listened and followed along on all of the panda exploits on Zoo News, you know that the Philadelphia Zoo got a new panda recently named Coco. Coco is one of the trio of pandas that got really famous at the Akron Zoo uh, with their whole Panda Palace um, web series and everything. Uh, and, And then she got a little feisty with her sisters, and so they moved her to Philly. So what's the deal? Does the Philadelphia Zoo have two new pandas, one of whom is named Honey? No. Honey is Coco. Coco is Honey. As of now, I am unsure why they chose to change the name of one of the most famous pandas in the SSP, but they have. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to find that out. We'll, we'll see if I hear back. Um, but yeah, so you can go visit Coco if you are a Panda Palace pal. <laughs> I'm such a dork. You can go visit Coco at Philly, but her name is now Honey. I don't, I don't understand why, but hey, it's cool, whatever. Um, I would like to thank the people at the Akron Zoo for getting back to me and letting me know that that is what happened uh, because I was unable to find out from Philly. So honey, cocoa, cocoa, honey. Okay, and we move on from talking about red pandas to talk about sperm. Okay, not the, uh, the animal you expected to hear about, but uh, I've got a couple of interesting sperm stories for y'all now. Uh, First of all, Greensboro Science Center um, recently discussed the fact that uh, their veterinarian, Dr. Young, uh, gave a male fishing cat the uh, annual physical exam that they do, and also were joined by vet staff from the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens crew team who collected semen samples from Angler, the cat in question, uh, which are being preserved to ensure a healthy population of fishing cats in AZA institutions across the world. 
So yeah, just another awesome example of the team at Crew at Cincinnati teaming up with another AZA facility to uh, preserve some spermy sperm to help save species. Uh, I think I think genetics are incredible, and I think that we are going to see more and more of this, and eventually it's just going to have the hugest impact on keeping, at the very least, the captive population uh, healthy, if not actually really helping with wild populations of especially endangered animals. So very cool. Yay. Um, and I'm not done with sperm yet. So that's exciting. The Toronto Zoo social media team has absolutely been on freaking fire lately, and I love them so much for it. One of the things that they did recently was discuss the fact that they are the only zoo in Canada with a full-time reproductive physiology team and a dedicated production lab, also commonly referred to as a biobank, which we've talked about at a couple of different institutions uh, in the, the States. Um, but it's it's really freaking cool that they shared all about this. They went into all of the details of what the team does and how they work on wildlife reproduction. And then they went through and posted a bunch of their adorable animals with pictures of what their sperm cells look like. So you can go and you can see a black-footed ferret and then black-footed ferret sperm, a baby polar bear and polar bear sperm, a lion and lion sperm, a matchy's tree kangaroo, our friend Puzzle, and a tree kangaroo sperm. And I did look, that picture is definitely Puzzle, even though she's female. Um, it's, it's not Collins, who was their last male, and I'm guessing where they got the sperm from. Interesting side note, the sperm does not have a pouch, probably because it's male. I know, I'm a dork. But, and you can also see um, wood bison and then wood bison sperm doesn't have horns. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm dumb. But uh, I like to laugh too. Anyway, so the point is that the Toronto Zoo posted this and it's really freaking cool. And I highly recommend you go check it out. They are at the Toronto Zoo on their social medias. And um, it's just really neat to see them sharing, you know, such cool behind the scenes stuff and, and the things that we always encourage zoos to share about. And in fact, I'm just going to stay at Toronto for a little bit. Um, because first of all, I mean, let's face it, I really like it there. But second of all, like I said, they were really good with the social media this week. See, they also shared about a team that they have that specifically focuses on the research and practice of animal welfare science. Uh, the five pillars of welfare are nutrition, environment, health, behavioral, and mental state, which I thought was pretty cool. The welfare team, they said, works directly with keepers, veterinarians, and animal nutritionists to assess animal well-being. One of the coolest things that I thought they, they talked about is then they mentioned their Terra Lumina event that happens every year, okay? This is a big light up and sound immersive thing, kind of like an Asian lantern festival on crack with a really great conservation message, um, which hopefully is as addictive as crack. Uh, anyway, and um, they talked about, you know, they have this big thing with light and sound at the zoo. So they said, you know, how, how did we go about doing this? Well, the team worked late during the setup of Terra Lumina, assessing the sound decibels from the show to ensure proper modifications and adjustments were made for the animals if needed. 
The uh, staff actually went into enclosures while animals were not there and used sound mapping to gather data from what the animal's perspective would be of the sound and the light. And this is just one example, but it's really cool to know that that exists because I think a lot of people see things like Terra Lumina and Asian Lantern Festival and the, the different things that happen at zoos. And I think that there are some people who are like, ooh, see, they care more about bunny than animal welfare. But no, in fact, they, you know, the Toronto Zoo is showing they have an entire team dedicated to this very thing and making sure that Terra Lumina and their other events are cool. And I just think that's awesome. And while we're at the Toronto Zoo, we're also going to talk about their burbs for a minute. Um, yet again, avian influenza is rearing its ugly head. It was located close to the zoo. And as such, the Toronto Zoo is uh, closing down their walkthrough bird aviaries. All of their outdoor birds will be moved to protected areas, meaning many will not be visible. And uh, guests will be redirected through some of the indoor pavilions to stay away from the birds. Um, this is yet again your reminder that avian influenza is a thing and is happening and affecting zoos. And also just another look at the transparency of Toronto Zoo's social media team. I feel like every time I opened Twitter or Instagram this week, I was like, hey, look, it's the Toronto Zoo doing exactly what they're supposed to. I love you guys. So that was pretty cool. Uh, props to everyone at the Toronto Zoo. And now let's move on from giving props to taking all the props away. But don't worry, I'm not about to put down a zoo. Uh, that, that's coming later, although it's, it's technically an aquarium. But anyway, um, yeah, so you may remember that a while ago, a father took a toddler into the San Diego Zoo elephant exhibit. And uh, it did not go well for him, and he got in trouble. And uh, this is one of those rare stories that I say I'm going to follow up on, and then I'm actually able to find a follow-up on. Uh, the father in question was given four years of probation. While all of this was going on, he served nine months in jail, and that is also part of his sentence. So he got what is, is known as time served, but it does mean this man spent nine months in jail for doing this. And he has been ordered to stay away from the San Diego Zoo, ordered to take parenting classes, and forced to avoid contact with his daughter. That last one hurts my heart as a parent. Um, I'm not saying I disagree with it at all, by the way, but like, ooh, I read that and I was like, ooh, ah, that hurts. That hurts worse than the rest of it combined. Uh, okay, except for not being allowed to go to the San Diego Zoo. Never seeing Miles again and going to the San Diego, or not being allowed to go to the San Diego Zoo again would be, e no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I, I definitely love one of them more than the other leaving it at that. But so the good news is that this guy actually got in trouble for doing the thing and, and there are legal repercussions. And I am really excited about that fact. So, uh, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Okay. Now we're actually going to do that whole attack of facility thing. Um, I always get a little nervous when I do this. So here is my blanket statement that everything that I am talking about is alleged unless it is confirmed already. And I'm just going to say it's alleged anyway. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Marineland in Canada. This is up in Niagara Falls and it is a facility. I've actually been to the facility before I understood things about, um, you know, accreditation and good and bad zoos and all of that stuff. It's one of the the reasons I like having this podcast to explain the differences to people. Uh, so I have been there and I have, I have witnessed some of the stuff firsthand. Um, 
But okay, so the reason that Marine Land is in the news this week is that they have been in a lawsuit for the last 10 years against a former trainer who worked there named Phil Deemers, who has started the Save Smushy movement. Uh, this is a walrus that lives at Marineland and is separated from its child that was born in 2021 so that it can continue to do shows and um, doesn't have shade to get out of the hot sun when it wants to. And just in general, the the trainer alleged that the um, the captive situation there was not acceptable. Now, y'all know I have no problem with walruses in captivity. I have met the ones at the Indianapolis Zoo, and I still think Erica Allen is one of the most amazing and impressive trainers I've ever met. She has an absolute heart for walrus, and the fact that she is okay with everything there and taking such good care of them means that I, I agree with that. I'm cool with that. But this walrus was not being treated that way. So uh, there was this long legal battle over it, and at the end of the day, both sides decided to drop their charges against each other, and the walruses in question are going to be rehomed, and um, Phil, who used to take care of the walruses before doing all of this, was finally allowed to reunite with Smushy. So they they had their first uh, interaction in a decade recently, and the door is open for him to visit more, um, and then the walrus will be moved to a place where there will be better conditions. Uh, Phil did not say where, and Marineland has not announced where the walruses will be moving yet, but that's okay because they are going to be moved. However, this is not the only lawsuit that Marineland is currently facing. Um, in fact, they are being sued by the Canadian government because cetaceans are not allowed to perform in shows anymore unless uh, they are a very specifically licensed facility, which Marine Land is not. And they have had their cetaceans performing in shows, but have relabeled them something like educational opportunities instead of shows to get around that restriction. Uh, at least, again, this is what the Canadian government alleges. So on top of the walrus situation and that lawsuit, um, Marineland has been in hot water before. Uh, they have had a lot of problems with, uh, let's just say, um, animal welfare lawsuits in the past, uh, some of which have kind of, you know, been settled and swept under the rug. Um, but if you're curious my take on, on Marineland, it, it goes something like this. I'm not saying they are a roadside zoo as, uh, you know, I don't want to get in trouble, but I will say this. They have a bear pit, and uh, basically any guests that we've had on that talk about the difference between accredited zoos and roadside zoos mentioned bear pits as one of the biggest problems out there. Uh, this is a large concrete pit where you throw food into bears who fight each other to try and get it and uh, look kind of starved. And um, it's it's kind of the most barbaric of all of the uh, practices I've seen that, uh, let's just say, uh, make it seem like animal welfare is not the main concern at a facility. Now, I do need to acknowledge that Marineland has said that they are putting way more focus on conservation, animal welfare, and education than ever before. Um, and I really hope they are. 
I've seen facilities turn around, and uh, it seems like this one might need to, and I'm hoping that they are well on that path. Um, but yeah, for now, I, I personally would say that Marine Land would not be a place that I would want to go visit right now. And uh, we should definitely keep our eyes on these other lawsuits and future ones that may come because, uh, yeah, Marine Land ain't really doing it for me. Go look at the falls, and uh, if, if you want, you're only about, you know— an hour to an hour and a half out of Toronto at that point. And uh, turns out they have a really good zoo with a really good social media team. Okay, so let's move on to something a little more fun. The Cincinnati Zoo houses rockhopper penguins, and they recently named one of their penguins Dwayne because he's Dwayne the Rock Hopper. Get it? Like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, and recently, they've been posting some videos and pictures of Dwayne and tagging The Rock in them. Well, The Rock finally responded, um, saying that they needed videos of uh, the penguin. Um, well, actually, let, let me just read this to you because it's pretty great. So, since he posted, meet Dwayne at The Rock Hopper Penguin. The Rock Hopper Penguin is named for its ability to hop from rock to rock. To which Dwayne The Rock Johnson responded, We need video of this spectacular feat of penguin badassery. I kind of like The Rock. Um, and, and so Cincinnati Zoo responded and put up a really adorable video of The Rock rock hopping uh, on some steps. It's really adorable. So I highly recommend that you go and check that out at Cincinnati Zoo. Oh, and uh, speaking of things to go and check out on social media, go to the Dallas World Aquarium on Facebook or Instagram, and uh, you will see a picture of a manatee holding a log, it kind of looks like. Well, it turns out that their resident manatee there has a log that is a toy to her, and um, she's become quite attached to it over the years. She cuddles it regularly. Uh, the uh, manatee in question is named Ajirami, and uh, she's a South American manatee who likes to cuddle a log, and it's adorable, and uh, as somebody who has read the stuffed red panda that I like to cuddle, uh, I get it. I feel like she would she would take her log with her everywhere if she was not a manatee um, and instead had a car and could drive places. So uh, yeah, I really appreciated seeing that. Though I have to admit, see guys, it's not weird. A manatee does it isn't really the... Uh, the response that I, I need when people make fun of me for red. Although, let's be honest, I don't let people make fun of me for red. Hell, red doesn't let people make fun of me for red. The Living Desert and Oakland Zoo have announced that Rose and Sage, two mountain lions that were rescued and sent to the Oakland Zoo that we've talked about on here a bunch before, they're kind of social media stars, I'm not jealous at all, uh, are going to be moving from the Oakland Zoo to the Living Desert Zoo and Gardens. Living Desert is awesome. It's one of the most naturalistic uh, zoos I've ever been to, and I think they're going to have a really amazing time there, and the Living Desert promises that they will keep doing cub dates, which is what the Oakland Zoo called it, as they would talk about Rose and Sage, um, to keep their fans, you know, informed about what's going on with Rose and Sage. Because let's face it, when you are a facility that gets an animal that is famous and beloved, you should probably, you know, take part in that. Not change the name, he said hypothetically. Anyway, moving on. I'm not bitter at all. 
And last but not least in zoo news this week, I just wanted to drop a real quick note of thanks to Woodland Park Zoo for being awesome. They have yet again done a Head Start program for Western Pond Turtles, and they are now being released to live in the wetlands in Washington State, uh, where they'll be monitored by the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. Uh, These kind of reintroduction programs are wildly important, and uh, it's great to see Woodland Park Zoo participating. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. So, as I am recording this, it is World Rhino Day, and lots of things are coming out about rhinos. So, let's talk a little bit about rhino conservation. The International Rhino Foundation has come out with their State of the Rhino 2022 report. Um, So there are five different species of rhinos, um, and this gives us a look at kind of what's going on with all of those populations. So white rhinos, there are currently 15,942 estimated to be in the wild. It is a decreasing population, and their IUCN status is near-threatened. The greater one-horned rhino has only 4,014 estimated uh, individuals in the wild, but it is an increasing population. They are currently rated as vulnerable. The black rhino has around 6,195 individuals in the wild, and they are rated as critically endangered. The javan rhino, there are hmm, 76 of them. In the wild, but they have a stable population, which is good, and they are obviously critically endangered. And then for the Sumatran rhino, there are under 80 known to be out in the wild, and it is a decreasing population, and they are critically endangered. And I think that's really important to understand that, you know, we talk about rhinos and the problems with rhinos that they're facing. And um, yeah, these are five very different species. I mean, they're all rhinos, but, and they're all facing very different threats. I mean, you know, you could ask yourself, what's more important to take care of a greater one-horned rhino, which is an increasing population that is vulnerable, or uh, something like um, the decreasing population of under 80 Sumatran rhinos that are critically endangered. Uh, Fortunately, a lot of the conservation organizations are finding ways to take care of multiple species, but um, there's a lot of thought that needs to go into how we focus our resources as we work on conservation. Uh, But yeah, so there's good news, there's bad news. Rhinos are, you know, it's tough to be a rhino. Um, we know this, but, uh, but yeah, at least there is some good news in the conservation story of rhinos. And if I can make a shameless plug, make sure you are back here on Tuesday. Uh, I have Emily Mack and Tiffany James coming to the podcast from Zoo Knoxville, but they're actually going to be here to discuss their time spent working over in Africa doing in-situ conservation work. And y'all, we have a really deep conversation about rhino conservation. And I have to pause before I say the words conservation and conversation in a sentence every single time. They're very similar words. But don't let that dumb joke that I just said take away from the fact that it's a really good episode and we go into a lot of really cool in-depth talk about rhino conservation and honey badgers and all kinds of other cool stuff. So yeah, make sure you check that episode out on Tuesday. 
Our friends at the Turtle Survival Alliance have announced the return of 10 northern river terrapins to the Sundarbans region. They used to be very numerous there, but were poached to um, almost extinction. And uh, a rewilding attempt uh, started in January of 22 with Turtle Survival Alliance and its partners to try to create large colonies uh, within the native range and restore the wild populations of these incredibly gorgeous turtles back into the wild. Uh, The 10 that have been released are all being tracked, and um, it's radio transmission for those of you that are curious. They're just stuck on the shells. It works fine. And uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this goes as this is the first step in what should be a really cool rewilding project. So props to Turtle Survival Alliance and all of their partners and uh, fingers crossed that this is successful. A new study in China has determined that the dugong, which is a uh, sea creature that belongs to the manatee family, is now functionally extinct, with no new sightings found around China since 2008. The authors of the study are currently petitioning the International Union for Conservation of Nature to uh, reassess the regional status of the dugong in China as either critically endangered or extinct, as it is known that there are a few still in the wild, but uh, functionally extinct means there's not enough to rebuild a population in the wild. So um, what caused the dugong to go functionally extinct, you ask? Well, the study has that answer as well and it is 100% human activity. In fact, it is the same issues facing manatees in the United States and like Florida right now. Um, So, you know, let this be a cautionary tale, please, and and let's save the manatee. And hopefully we have enough cryobanked sperm and other things that maybe at some point we actually can save the dugong or maybe even just reintroduce them into the waters around China when things get better. The Cheetah Conservation Fund, with its partners in Africa and India, have officially reintroduced cheetahs into India. This is a really controversial conservation story that is taking place right now, and uh, I am working on getting more information about it from some people involved. We'll see what happens. But um, so for right now, what you need to know is that, uh, we've talked about this a little bit on here, but as a a quick uh, refresher. Okay, so cheetahs used to exist in India. It was the Asiatic cheetah subspecies, and uh, they went extinct. And so now African cheetahs have been moved to Kuno National Park in India, where they will be protected and are going to be there to serve and fill the ecological niche that was left behind by the extinction of the Asiatic cheetah in that area. So I guess what it all comes down to for most people is whether you think that um, this is a rewilding project or whether this is a case of putting an invasive species into an environment. It goes to a weird place because this is a subspecies and not a species. So, yes, there were cheetahs there. However, I'll also tell you that, you know, there are a lot of white rhinos out there, but there are two 
northern white rhinos left. And people make a very big deal about that because subspecies are different and do matter and are important for genetic diversity. So there's a lot of debate about this. Dr. Laurie Marker at CCF pushed hard for this movement and um, is very excited about it and very proud of this. And uh, yeah, the idea of an animal being extinct in an area and brought back to it is something that I praise on this podcast regularly. But is an African cheetah suited to live in India? Is a different subspecies a rewilding or an invasive species? It's a really, really good question. Uh, I leave it up to you to decide for now. I leave it up to me to decide later because I don't feel like I have enough information. I trust CCF. They're incredible. I respect the hell out of Dr. Laurie Marker. Um, the work they do is amazing. Uh, I hope I can get more information about this for y'all and we can kind of decide together. But if you have thoughts, let me know. I would love to hear what you think about all this. In other news. All right. And for other news this week, how about we spend three stories talking about sharks? Sound fun? Sounds fun. Okay, so first of all, a great white shark that was fitted with a GPS tracker has been moving through the ocean um, really all along the eastern coast of uh, the United States and Canada. And uh, when you track the movements and put them all on a map together, the shark drew a picture of a shark. It it is a self-portrait. There's no actual, you know, scientific anything to this. It's just a coincidence, but it's really funny. And I highly recommend Googling great white shark fitted with GPS tracker draws shape of shark in the ocean because it's really something to see. It's got the dorsal fin. It's got the tail fin. It's got a little side fin, not an open mouth, sadly, no teeth, but um, it's, it's actually kind of hilarious. So I highly recommend checking it out. A pair of anglers in South Carolina recently caught a hammerhead shark that was at least 400 pounds heavier than the longstanding state record and is believed to possibly have been a world record uh, for the heaviest hammerhead ever caught. However, the team was so impressed by the shark that they did not want to, you know, kill it for the glory, so they released it. So that's awesome. I'm really, really, really... uh impressed. The shark is estimated to have been over a thousand pounds and uh, it's still swimming around in South Carolina because these guys were awesome and let it go. So um, yay them. That makes me really happy. Uh, And then our final shark story for the week is that, okay, this is crazy y'all. Maybe this should have gone in conservation news. A 50 foot long megalodon has been discovered in the Atlantic ocean. Except, wait a minute, megalodons have been extinct for millions and millions of years. Um, But yeah, no, these scientists, they they found this megalodon that was about 50 feet long, and it was estimated to weigh around 40 tons, which is really exciting, except that um, they did more research, and it was a school of fish that was that long and in the shape of a shark. So the uh, imagery that they got that looked like a solid megalodon was, in fact, a school of fish. Um, yeah, I don't know what the species of fish was, but if I had a guess, I would say it was a red herring. Oh. 
So it's still 2022, which is the year of the wildcat. I don't say that very often, but it is. And it's also still September, which is Save the Koala Month. Now, on Friday, September 23rd, we celebrate my mother's birthday. Happy birthday, Marianne Rossi. I will not tell my fans how young you are. Um, and I, I don't be offended when I say that you're an animal because we're all animals. Humans are animals. Anyway, <laughs> the 24th is a bunch of days. Okay, so it is National Bluebird of Happiness Day. I don't make them up. I just report them. World Cassowary Day, World Gorilla Day, and International Rabbit Day. The 25th is National Lobster Day and World Rivers Day. The 26th is Black-Footed Ferret Day. And the 29th is Goose Day. Honk. Also on the uh, 28th starts Fat Bear Week, a week dedicated to bear conservation that usually turns into a bunch of really nasty memes about animals and people being overweight. So uh, let's not let it be that this year, right? Right, please? Anyway, cool. Those are your animal holidays for the week. And there we have it, folks. Another episode of Rasafari Zoo News is in the books. I'd like to say thanks to Laura Shank, my Red Panda-level patron, and also to Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Dr. Zoe Vestley-Gross, Jacob Newman, Liz Dunlevy, and Kevin Williams for sending me stories for this week's episode. Thank you all. Remember, friends, you too can contribute to Rossafari Zoo News by tagging me at Rossafari on social media posts that would make sense on here, or emailing me things, rossafaripod at gmail.com. And remember, the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk, you swen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.